Welcome to the Droma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, I'm Brenda Newman, and I'm a medical student at Zucker School of Medicine, Hofstra Northwell. I serve on the JOMA Pre-Med Committee as Advisement Coordinator. Today, I will be guest hosting the JOMA Specialty Spotlight episode. The Specialty Spotlight episodes are geared toward anyone who is interested in learning about different medical specialties. In this episode, I will be interviewing Dr. Baruch Fertal. Dr. Fertel is the Director of Operations for Emergency Services Institute and all of the Cleveland Clinic emergency departments. He has a strong interest in high reliability, process improvement, utilization, standardization, opioid stewardship, and peer review QA. Dr. Fertel is also Associate Chief Quality Officer, Regulatory Affairs for Enterprise Quality and Safety, where he provides clinical oversight and leadership for Cleveland Clinic's interaction with various regulatory agencies, as well as oversight of professional practice evaluation. Previously, he was medical director in the IT division clinical systems office with oversight over the electronic health record and other aspects of clinical informatics for the Emergency Services Institute, and was also the quality improvement officer for the Emergency Service Institute. Clinically, Dr. Fertel sees patients in both the general and pediatric emergency departments. He is a teacher to residents, PA students, and medical students. He holds the academic rank of Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine of Case Western Reserve University and was also part of the faculty at the PA program at Case Western. Academic accomplishments include more than 80 published abstracts, manuscripts, and book chapters. In addition, he has made numerous media appearances locally and nationally. He is an active member of the American College of Emergency Physicians, both nationally and locally, sits on the American College of Emergency Physicians Membership Committee, and the American College of Emergency Physicians EM Practice Committee, and is chair of the Ohio American College of Emergency Physicians Government Affairs Committee. Dr. Fertel is also medical director of the Forensic Nursing Program at Cleveland Clinic. Welcome, Dr. Fertel, and thank you for joining our podcast today. Thanks for having me. Wow, that was a uh, quite a long introduction. I'm still a regular guy who sees patients, though. My first question for you is, why did you choose medicine, and what characteristics makes one a good fit for a career in medicine? So it's interesting. I can't say that I really chose medicine. I think medicine more fell into my lap. Um, growing up, my dad was uh, a physician, an OBGYN, very much involved in the community, and that's not something I wanted to do. I actually uh, went to school to be a, a healthcare administrator or a nonprofit administrator. I got a Master of Public Administration from Baruch College in uh, New York City. And that was really where I was uh, going to be. And by various twists of fate, um, I wound up becoming an EMT. I wound up teaching EMT classes. And I was interested just as a side gig in becoming a paramedic. And I had just gotten married at the time, and um, I was having fun doing it. I enjoyed it, but I never thought that's where my career would be. And I wanted to become a paramedic, and uh, I told my, my wife at the time, oh, yeah, I'm just going to take a few months off, and I'll become a paramedic, and then, you know, I'll go get a real job, et cetera. 
And both my mom and my um, wife staged an intervention one day and basically said to me, boy, if you're going to do this, do it right and stop playing. Um, at which point I kind of realized that I got to get serious. So I decided that, hey, I really do like this medicine thing. Maybe I'll give it a try, even though I never thought I would. Um, I, I actually was in 9-11 as an EMT. So I had met some of the folks at the place where I matriculated for medical school, NYU. And it became my dream to go to Bellevue, NYU, and to train there uh, and to go to medical school there. So I went back to school. I went to Queens College at night. Um, for those of you New Yorkers, I'm sure you're very familiar with the uh, Queens College pre-med program. So I went to Queens College after my master's degree. I did my science classes at night, just like I'm sure many of you uh, listening to this podcast uh, are doing or have done. And uh, did that. And my dream was to go to NYU. I applied to a bunch of schools in New York and uh, and I got accepted. And it's been a great career. Um, I always knew I wanted to do uh, emergency medicine. It was kind of what I got interested in. We can talk more about some of those specifics uh, in a bit, but it, it was what I got interested in. Um, I think you asked what makes someone a good fit for medicine. I think the traits that are important for someone to be successful in medicine is diligence, perseverance, and commitment. And what I mean by that is, obviously, no one ever wants to cut corners but when it comes to taking care of other people's lives, you can't cut corners. You can't take shortcuts. You have to be diligent. You have to be committed. Integrity is a must. I mean, if you don't know something, you have to tell the patient, I just don't know. And it's a lot of work. I mean, those of us who've done pre-med know, I mean, these science classes are brutal, some of them. And the first couple of years of medical school are very difficult. And to do a career like this, it means that someone has to be committed, someone has to be focused, they really want this, and this is something they're willing to put the necessary effort in. I think in other industries, one could just get by. When it comes to taking care of other people's lives, and that's really what it is, no matter what specialty you're in, you're somehow involved in somebody's life, you can't just get by. You have to do it completely. And you have to be completely engaged and do it right. And finally, you have to want to take care of people. I mean, if one wants to just um, pursue a career that is lucrative, I'm not convinced that medicine is the right career for that person. First of all, I'm not convinced that uh, it's as lucrative as people think it is once there's the investment made. And second of all, it has to ultimately be about the people and everything else secondary. That's really great advice. I like that. Thank you. So you were saying that you're going to talk a little bit about your decision to go into emergency medicine. So about that, can you walk us through a typical day for you as an emergency medicine physician and why you decided to go into the field of emergency medicine? The most interesting part about the answer to the question of what is a typical day in emergency medicine is that there is no typical day. And that's what I enjoy most about my job. I never know what's going to come through the door. One day it could be someone with a bow and arrow sticking out of them. The other day, um, the other, the next day, it could be uh, a kid with a cold. It can be someone with a heart attack. It could be someone with a brain bleed. It could be someone pregnant and everything in between. And it runs the gamut. And oftentimes we don't even get notice about what's coming in. So it can go from sheer boredom to utter terror and chaos in minutes. 
And that's what's interesting for me is that walking through the doors, I never know what I'm going to encounter. I would say, though, that probably 10% of the patients I see are truly life-threatening, critical, and most of them are not, and many are even not emergent. So you have to be prepared to do a little bit of everything. Sometimes I'll do primary care, not by choice, but it's what comes through the door. Sometimes I'll take care of critical people and I'll resuscitate them, and in the middle. And you never know what you're going to get. Furthermore, the other thing that's interesting is that I have no relationship with these patients. In fact, when I do have a relationship with them in the emergency department, it's probably a problem because it means they're using the emergency department a little too much. Um, and they have to trust you. You want a patient who's having ostensibly, if they're ill and need the emergency department, they're having the worst day of their life. You want them to trust you and say, this person guy or gal, is going to do the best job they can to get me through my illness. So how do you establish a rapport with these people in a short amount of time and convey to them that you're there to help them and help them have a better day? So those are the, that's really what, what, what a typical day. One day I can intubate a patient, one day I can put a chest tube, one day I can suture somebody, and the next day I can just do abdominal exams and throw cultures for, for a shift. It all depends. Um, and that's what makes this a, a fun job is that it's every day different. What I like about it is that it's shift work. I come, I start my shift at seven, at, I work nights, so I start my shift at either 10 or 11 p.m. I'll start my shift tonight at 10 p.m. and I'm done at 7 a.m. That's it. And then I leave and I'm done. Occasionally I'll follow up on a patient and sometimes I'll call people back at the end of my shift, but that's it. I know my schedule three months in advance. I'm scheduled out three months in advance. I can tell you when I'm working clinically for the next three months. And that's really uh, something that appeals to me. On the other hand, we're a 24-7, 365 business. And one of us has to be working every night, every weekend, every day. So that means we're going to work odd hours. I work all the holidays. It's what I do. On the other hand, I love to escape to warmer weather on a Tuesday and Wednesday in the middle of the week when there are no crowds. And I can because I can work my schedule. So I think there are pros and cons. Um, there's a lot of flexibility. But you're going to have to work interesting hours. If you want bankers hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, unless you're the chairman of the group, chairperson of the group, sorry, um, you're not going to be getting those hours. All in all, I enjoy it. I enjoy the flexibility that comes with it. And, um, and, and I enjoy the episodic moments when I can make a difference in somebody's life. I think emergency medicine is very different than all the other fields in the sense of like the shift work, which is, it appeals to people in a sense. It, you know, it does. I, um, people can have, for example, I choose to work nights because I want to be available for my family. And by being able to work night shift, I see my kids every morning before they go to school. I can see my kids in the evening. Um, I have dinner with my kids almost every night of the week. It's just something that's important to me. On the other hand, to do that, I had to be able to give, up, give say that I'm going to work night shift. So there's balances and there's yin and yang. But to me, it gives me certain flexibilities. I uh, like to learn. Um, I like to learn 
Torah. So I want to be able to have a steady Chavrusa in the afternoons. How do I do that? Well, I work night shift and sleep in the morning. So there's a lot of flexibility. People who want to do other things, people who want to do things on the side, it's very amenable to part-time work. In those kind of, uh, with, with that kind of flexibility, I think it's just a great specialty. And the other perk is, while people do put us down for not knowing anything, eh, we know, we know a little bit about a lot. And we know for most specialties what to do for the first 45 minutes. How do I take care of someone for the first 45 minutes of most specialties? That's pretty cool. Also, if they call a doctor on the plane, it's like, that's your field. <laughs> I mean, generally, um, you know, it's what we do. We respond to emergencies and we, uh, we try to help out. So it's, uh, it's a good feeling. My door doesn't stop ringing, especially on Chavez. Um, but it doesn't ring. It knocks on Chavez. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing and it's an opportunity to be able to help people. However, I also have the humility to sometimes say, I don't know. Sometimes people come to me with something and say, I don't know. I can tell you it's not life-threatening, but I don't know what that rash is. That's not my strong point, rashes. We need good dermatologists. That's really great. And then with kind of transitioning to for advice for patients, in the emergency room, it can be difficult for patients that do not have a background in medicine to advocate for themselves because of the hectic environment. What advice would you give to patients visiting the emergency room regarding how to navigate the environment and express their needs and wants? Yeah, absolutely. ED, the emergency department is challenging, especially now. Um, the emergency departments are overcrowded. There is a big nursing shortage and an ancillary staff shortage. So it just makes things move slower. Plus, we're crowded. And it's not just COVID. It's multifactorial. We're actually trying to analyze our data and figure out why this is. But nationally, across most of the country, especially in urban cities, uh, the, the emergency devo- department volumes, which were predicted to decline from 2019, um, have actually exceeded 2020 volumes in the last uh, five to six months. So we're actually more, we're hiring another 14 physicians for our group uh, in the next year just to talk about that. So it's busy. The first thing I'd say is be respectful and be patient. All of us working in the emergency department want to help you. We're not there because we want uh, to torture people or make them wait a long time. And if there's a long wait, it generally has to do with either other patients' systemic uh, failures. And I know it's frustrating and I, I completely get it. But if you you can't take that out on the staff because it's, most of the time there's nothing we can do about it and it's just a series of system bottlenecks. Now, in my operations role, I try to solve those bottlenecks with our team and try to look for ways, but that's what we think about every day. How can we get patients through quicker? Nobody is deliberately having things take a long time. I mean, the CT scanner may be backed up because 20 people need CT scans. I would say generally if you're being made to wait, be very grateful and thank God that your illness is not deemed critical enough that you can't wait because there may be others who are. Um, bringing a family member with you to a, a, a doctor visit or especially to the emergency department is so important. When you yourself are sick, sometimes it could be hard to, um, you're focusing on yourself, you're focusing on your pain, you're focusing on your illness, and you may not be able to ask that other question or you may not think of something else or you may be f- not be able to process all the information. So um, I, I'm, I'm a strong uh, proponent of people bringing family members. However, 
or friends. However, it's very important. Don't be pushy. Don't be overbearing. Don't turn down the staff. I mean, we're people too. Those of us who work, our physicians, our nurses, we're people. We're trying our best. Being pushy, you know, standing outside, tapping your foot, wondering when the next, when, when the doc is going to come in. It's not going to help. It's not going to make us come any faster and you're just going to annoy us. And then no one's going to want to come into your room. Be respectful. Understand that there's a lot going on. And if the hospital didn't staff the emergency department properly, don't take it out on the local staff. They showed up to work. They're there that day. So I think that's, um, I think that's, that's one of the things that I would really stress. I'm also a big fan of, of writing things down. So if you're in the room and you're thinking about things and you come up with questions, write them down and present those questions to the physician who's taking care of you and, and feel free to ask. Um, a, a patient should, should ask if they don't understand something, they should really ask to have it explained. Say, I don't understand. It's annoying to me when someone comes and tells me their great aunt's grandmother's aunt is a nurse and told me that this is it. Um, and, and that's the only thing they're willing to listen to. I think as a physician, if people come with questions or ideas, even if it's from Dr. Google, as annoying as that is, I owe them the courtesy to, um, I owe them the courtesy to answer those questions satisfactorily and to explain things to them. But be open to listening. Because if you come in with a preconceived notion and you're not willing to listen or consider what's going on, then that's not a therapeutic relationship. Um, I mean, the emergency department is not Wendy's where you can have it your way. But I agree there should be conversation. And a physician who's not open to listening is a problem physician. I mean, people come to me and they have ideas. At least listen and explain why you'd consider otherwise. Don't be dismissive. That's something I think is very important for us as physicians to, um, is very important for, uh, for us as physicians to do is to make sure that we, that we communicate with patients, we share with patients, and it's a back and forth give and take. So both sides have to be open. There's, I mean, it's just a tip like anything else. If you want to make a suggestion to someone, if you say, well, my friend who's a doctor said you should do X, Y, and Z, what's someone's natural defense? You know, Hell no. Um, on the other hand, if you say, well, what about this? Or I heard about this. Can you tell me why this is not the case? And if you do it in a disarming way, just like you'd have a conversation with anyone else, it really gives um, a, a better give and take. But absolutely, no one should leave a doctor's visit. No one should leave an emergency department without the answers to that question. I really like what you said about the writing down questions for the, like when you're sitting there and you're thinking about it, it's something I personally do when I see physicians, I always write down questions. And I know as a medical student, when I see patients and they have all their questions prepared, because even if you know what you want to ask, you could easily forget. And it's just better to just have it written down. Um, the next question I have for you is, can you describe your pathway and evolution in leadership positions? What advice would you give someone who was pursuing a leadership role? So my pathway into leadership was all siata dishmaya and a series of occurrences that just came one on top of the other. To me, the number one trait necessary for leadership is the desire and the fortitude to work hard and to be committed. And those are traits that you learn in medical school. 
if if one wants to go into leadership because they want to make their own schedule, have time off and boss people around, uh, I, that's not really a recipe for success um, in in medicine or leadership. And one will find themselves without followers. I think leaders, by definition, have to have followers. And if the followers don't believe in the leaders, it, it's not a very good situation. It's often a toxic relationship. The most important thing is to show up and work hard. So I'll I'll just describe my pathway. I I came as a staff physician to the Cleveland Clinic in uh in 2013 right after I graduated residency. I always knew I wanted to do something else. I had a master's degree. I enjoyed running things. I was always the guy um in yeshiva who ran things, who organized things, who put things together. I, it's just the way I am. I also think very much about logistics. Um, when I lived in New York City, I used to know the subway map in the days before we had apps. We actually had real subway maps. Um, I'm not that old though. Um, and and I was always fascinated by how things go and, and how things are intertwined. And when I came to work, I uh, were working for a couple of months and then noticed the problem and I brought that to my leadership's attention in a respectful way. And they said, huh, what do you what do you propose? And I, it, when you come up with a problem, it's always good to have a potential solution. So I said, "How about this?" And they said, "Oh, interesting. Let's put you on a committee." So you go to the committee and you show up and you come to the meetings and you are quiet for the first few meetings and then you speak up meaningfully and you do your research and you read up about the topics and then all of a sudden people want um, people want to include you and they want your opinion. And when you're assigned tasks, you do those tasks and you execute on those tasks. You you have a meeting, you send a summary of your meeting afterwards and say, here's what I'm going to do and here's the due date. And by golly, when the date shows up, you deliver and you keep your word. And as, as an aside, leadership's not for everybody. People have things that are important to them, be them personal, be them familial, be them recreational. I mean, people have things. It's important that if you're going to go into leadership and do it, like everything else, you have to do it 100%. And that's what's recognized. And it's not for everybody. And it's not it's not that somebody is any less of a physician or any less of a person. Some of my most outstanding colleagues, just absolute rock stars, people who I would take my family to Hasashalm in a minute, those folks have no desire in leadership. They just want to come, do their job, and leave. And when they're there, they're on. But when they're gone, they're gone. So really important to want to show up. So what happened was my boss called me in about 10 months into my job and said, um, we use an electronic medical record. It was epic. And they said, people can't stand it. It's frustrating. It's hard to interact with the EMR. There's too many buttons. There's too many clicks. Can you do something about it? And my first answer was, uh, I can't even type. How do you expect me to do anything? And then I thought, whoa, this is an opportunity for me to learn a new skill, for me to develop some leadership techniques, and to really make an impact and fix something for my colleagues. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And my first question was, how much are, was not, how much are you going to pay me? Or how many shifts off are you going to give me? It's, I'll do this. So you show a willingness, you're willing to step up. The department had a need. I learned everything I could about the electronic medical record. I've been to Madison, Wisconsin way too many times, although it's a lovely city. Not enough kosher food, though. But uh really nice city, eating lots of uh kind bars and um, and uh, those granola bars, as well as uh, fruits from the hotel. Um, and, and learned everything I could about the electronic medical record. And 
I, in fact, along the way, for a guy who can't type, I'm board certified in clinical informatics, for whatever that's worth. And I think that's pretty amusing for for a guy who can't type. And what we did was we focused on, okay, let's start from scratch. Let's build a core team of stakeholders. Let's get physicians. Let's get nurses. Let's find out what they like, what they don't like. I'm very big into the principles of high reliability and standardization. And what we did was we said, we're going to have the same version of Epic in every one of our 14, now 21, emergency departments. And we worked on that. So working hard, listening to people, taking people's feedback. You can work on a project for weeks. If you forget to get feedback and someone tells you, uh, Baruch, this is not going to work, or they call me Baruch, that's how they pronounce my name. Um, yeah, you got to be humble enough to say, all right, we're going to put a pause on it. I'm going to start from scratch. From there, we just, um, as physicians, we spend so much of our time in front of the computer. Get used to it. It's like your second spouse. Um, we spent so much time in front of the electronic medical record, I started doing quality improvement projects. So when the quality person left, my boss called me in and said, uh, you're doing quality anyway because you were working with him. So why don't you just become the director of quality for all the emergency departments? And we came up with some ideas and we worked to make it safer for our patients and hold our physicians more accountable, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and in the meanwhile... I always think it's important for one person not to do too much. So I transitioned the role of uh, informatics medical director onto uh, a colleague. We had a great handoff period over six months, and that person took over for me. And then I was doing quality and really enjoying it. We put in some good mechanisms around peer review, around uh, reviewing cases, standardizing our treatment pathways so that if someone comes into uh, one emergency department in Cleveland Clinic Health System, they'll get the exact same care that they would in another emergency department in our health system. Having a great time. And uh, my boss comes to me and says, you know, you're doing a lot of operational roles. Uh, we're going to make you director of operations for all the emergency departments. So, great. Now I interact with our colleagues in lab, our colleagues in radiology, our pharmacy colleagues, our nursing colleagues, figuring out how we can uh, get things going. How can we move the length of stay and, and, and get people through the emergency department quicker? How can we get patients admitted and not have them bored in the emergency department? Um, and that's been great. And then the uh, chief quality officer for the health system a couple years ago reached out and said, hey, you're doing some really good work around peer review, around physician practice, around standardization. I want you to come join my team as uh, Associate Chief Quality Officer. So that worked out very nicely. Applied for that job. And I transitioned over my local quality role. And those are the two roles I have now where I'm Associate Chief Quality Officer. And, um, and I'm also Director of Operations for the Emergency Departments. But it, what I think has has helped me be successful is the commitment is my word is my word people trust me they know my boss has told me on more than one occasion baruch if i give you a task i know it will be done and that's it and sometimes i'm working 90 hours a week may people may not see it i was up till 11 o'clock last night doing work now i put my kids to bed went to learn came home and, uh, and, uh, actually I was up to 12 and I was, uh, I, I was just writing emails and preparing them to send them out because there are projects that have to get done. Some weeks I have less to do. If you set yourself apart as someone who is diligent, reliable, and thoughtful, people are going to want to 
are, are going to want to give you and assign you more responsibilities. And then your colleagues will trust you because they know that you listen, you're open to their feedback, and you're fair. And I think those are really important traits uh, if one wants to pursue a career in leadership. And it's something I enjoy. I enjoy that balance. To be frank, I would burn out if I were seeing patients five days a week in the emergency department. It's a lot of stress. It's um, it's a lot. On the other hand, I feel like I have a great balance between administrative and I look forward to my clinical shifts. In fact, I have one tonight at 10 p.m. and I'm really excited uh, to go in. That's really good advice. I really like that um, for somebody going into leadership. I think that's very helpful advice. As far as... Um, As for like medical students and pre-medical students, if you had to give them one piece of advice, what would it be? I'd say it's the same two. The advice I would give would really be two things. And it's this, it's the, it's the two things that I've seen in leadership and, and all over. It's work hard and be reliable, dependable, and trustworthy. I, I'll confess my sins now. I could barely break a passing grade on my shelf exams. I couldn't. It's just not my thing. And I still did outstanding on my clinical rotations. And the reason why was because I showed up. There was no drama. There was no complaining. I showed up. I worked hard. If someone asked me to do something, I made it happen. And I did it. And people knew they can rely on me. I recall when I was in medical stu- when I was a medical student, I was on my surgery rotation, and it was uh, during the winter, and I had to leave early for Shabbos, and I probably booked out. I was in NYU, so I booked out of Manhattan probably about one thirty two p.m. and uh, no big deal. I left, and when I got my um, my surgery evaluation at the end of the month, I got an honors, and they wrote um, diligent, hardworking, always present. And, uh, and, and some comment about, you know, being the first to come and last to leave. And I'm thinking to myself, I was never there on Saturday. I left early on Fridays, but when I was there, I was present. And the point was, I was present. I wasn't hiding. I wasn't running away. I wasn't being a nudnik. And I think that's something that's carried on with me to my, uh, to my career as a leader is I take off. I don't work Shabbos. I don't work Yomtif. I don't work Kalamite. I don't do any of that. But when I'm there, I'm present, I'm available, and I make myself, um, and, and, and I'm dependable, and people can rely on me. And if you have those traits, I think someone will be superb in medicine. Because smart is a prerequisite, right? All of you are smart. Everybody's smart. You wouldn't get into medical school. You wouldn't be able to make it through biology, chemistry, physics, organic chemistry, and all that fun stuff if you weren't smart. So we know you're smart. Now the, now it is, do you have that fortitude to, to succeed? And those are the people who succeed. When I interview residents, uh, medical students for residency, I don't really care how smart they are. I assume they're smart because they got into medical school. I want to know, are they going to work hard? Are they going to be honest, dependable, and reliable? So that's actually my last question for you. Thank you so much for providing us with all this valuable knowledge. Um, I really learned a lot from our conversation today, and it was really a great split pleasure speaking with you. I would like to remind our audience to please rate and review the Joma podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, 
Check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A, dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.